Greetings and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting apps including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Podcast episodes air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and at 1 p.m. on Wednesdays on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. We have a special guest on the show today, and we're very appreciative that she's willing to share her personal and emotional story with us. Our guest today is Nicole Sperry, an elementary school teacher in Chesapeake and a mother whose 10-year-old daughter, Teresa, tragically lost her life to COVID-19 this fall, just days after she first experienced symptoms in late September. Even as Nicole and her family absorbed that enormous loss, she's also waged a personal campaign to combat public information about the virus that took her daughter. So Nicole, if you would, please allow me first to offer you and your family condolences on your immense loss and also to thank you for being willing to join us today to share your story. Thank you for inviting me to be here. The overwhelming support that we've gotten from everybody since we've lost Teresa has been just mind-blowing. Well, we appreciate you being with us and, like I said, sharing your story. Before we discuss the circumstances of, of the fatal illness that your daughter contracted, let's start by just learning about her and her personality. From what I understand, Teresa excelled in school. She read avidly and truly enjoyed life. So let's start there, if you would, and just tell us about your daughter as a person. Yeah, when I say that she loved everything, she did. She wanted to learn how to sew. She loved being around her friends. She loved trying to make people happy. I used to call her a goober, or sometimes when she was really a big goober, I would call her the queen goober. (laughs) She just loved being around people and, you know, just being that ray of light. And she, she did love to read. Sometimes I would try to get her to read books that I used to like to read when I was younger. But she was like, no, I want to read this. I'm like, fine. But she just, like, was that pure heart, you know. One of her things that she used to tell us was that her and her best friend, one of her best friends, when they graduated from high school, they were going to move to New York and live in an apartment together and do great things. And in my mind, I was like, that's going to be very expensive. But I was like, okay, if that's what you want to do, go right ahead. Like, she just had lots of dreams and she loved being around people. And just, it's hard to explain. Like, she loved everything about life. Like, even if we made dinner and it might have been a little too dry, she would have still said, I liked it or it was okay, you know, instead of saying that she hated it, you know. So she always tried to find the good in everything. Well, a little enthusiasm and positivity, you know, can go a long way. And so it's great to hear uh, what a cheerful uh, spirit that she had and, you know, making plans. I think a lot of kids um, think about going to the big city after they they grow up and and become a quote unquote adult. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. I wonder if you can tell us about the situation leading up to your daughter's diagnosis. We mentioned that she had an onset of symptoms in late September. Uh, From what I gather, your family has some concerns that this may be linked to conditions at the school that she attended. What can you share with us about that? We don't know exactly if it is from the school, but we do know that we limit her exposure. We limited her exposure going out and doing things. We weren't the type of family that went out to the amusement parks over the summer or the movie theaters or all those other places because it was a lot of people. My husband, he has 
health complications that put him in high risk for COVID. So we really limited all of those possible exposures. The Wednesday before she died, I was at work. My husband, to help limit the exposure, he would go and pick them up and drop them off at school. So they didn't ride the bus. And so they were picking up Teresa and Michael from school and she said something about a headache. You know, she didn't feel good. And at first we didn't think too much about it because I get migraines. My oldest son, he's past couple of years started to get kind of bad headaches. They kind of run in our family. But of course, you know, do you have any other symptoms? Like we were like headaches. Okay. You know, do you have a sore throat? Do you have a fever? She only had the headache. We gave her some medicine, you know, she started to feel better, you know, no other symptoms. The next day, he picks her up again. She comes home and crashes. Like, she just goes straight to sleep. And she never takes naps. Like, not even if she stays up all night. She avoided naps at the most. And so I came home from work, and he's like, oh, yeah, she was really tired. And I was like crazy and when she woke up she had a fever I don't remember the exact I know it was at least 101 so we were like okay well we're keeping you home tomorrow and we knew that we were going to keep our youngest home just in case so Friday I'm at work my husband's calling around to the doctors you know calling around to the schools to give them a heads up hey she has fevers and all that other stuff he reaches out to the pediatrician's office and they kind of helped walk him back to look for when the symptoms started and to see when they would be able to get her in to get the COVID test. And so they, at first with him just saying the fever, they were like, okay, well, Thursday, he, and they're like, did she have any other symptoms that might have started earlier? And he was like, well, she had a headache. And they're like, well, that is a symptom. And so that, you know, put her first day of showing symptoms for that Wednesday. And so they told him, you know, just keep her isolated in her room, medicine as needed, drink plenty of fluids, all that kind of stuff. And then she was supposed to go in on Monday for her COVID test. So we were like, okay, we're good. Uh, I immediately, as soon as he told me the feedback of what they said, I immediately put in a Walmart order with a whole bunch of stuff so that she could have in the room to Barnes and Noble and I bought some books for her and activities so that she could stay busy and you know come home give it to her Saturday she starts complaining a little bit more of a sore throat so we get her you know some throat lunges my husband's trying to give her like the salt gargle you know the salt water gargle mm-hmm. and she's doing okay like her temperature doesn't really go too crazy her symptoms were pretty much maintained. We even had a pulse op. Her numbers never went below like 94, 95. Mm -hmm. Like there was nothing really to worry about. But then Sunday she started really complaining about her throat really hurting. And so then I went back to the store to see if I can buy any more, like maybe like a throat spray or something to help, you know, soothe her throat so that it didn't hurt as much. And it seemed to help a little bit, but then later in the evening, she started, on Sunday night, she started coughing, and it was like one of those coughs that you throw up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And my husband, he was like, well, at this point, I don't know if there's anything else we can do here at the house, because this is getting a little bit above us, because the pediatrician's office did tell us that 
if it seems to get worse, to take her to the emergency room. So that was Sunday evening. So, you know, I put my shoes on, like, she's, you know, because she doesn't like going to doctors anyway. So she's like, I don't want to go to the emergency room. And I was like, baby, we just want to make sure you're okay. She couldn't find her shoes. So I had to give her my pair of shoes. And because she's almost the same size as me, they fit almost perfectly. So we, you know, put our masks on. She already had hers on, put on, on. We drove up to the hospital, which is right down the street from us. And we're waiting to get taken back into the room. And it was funny because while we were there, there was a little boy that was wheeled in. And I guess he hurt his ankle or something like that. And Teresa, in the midst of her being sick and we're there for her, she's trying to make this other little kid feel better, you know, because he's scared about going to the doctor, you know. And she was like, it'll be okay, and then, like, she saw that he was playing, like, a Nintendo Switch or something like that. And then he, she started telling him how we have one, too, and how she likes to play Just Dance. And, you know, she was just trying to make him feel better. And I was like, that's the type of person she is. Like, she's there because she's not feeling good, but she's trying to get this other kid to smile. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. And, that's an amazing story. <laughs> and so we get pulled into the back. When they did her first check, you know, her they checked her fever and everything. She had a fever. Her blood pressure was fine. Her pulse ox was fine. You know, I'm my eyes are glued to those numbers, you know. And that's when we go and sit down and she saw that little boy. So then after a couple minutes, they called us to the kind of like the triage type room mm-hmm. before they decide which place they're going to put us. And they check her throat and they're like, okay, it's really red. And they're like, it could be either strep or COVID, because I guess they both present that way with that redness. And she's nobody in our house has had strep before. I've never had strep. My kids have never had strep. And so in that moment, I was like, please, God, let it be strep. And they're like, they'll give us a rapid test for strep. They'll give us the test for COVID and then the other test for the that takes a couple days to get the better culture, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, please let it be stressed. Please let it be stressed. But I'm trying to stay composed for her because she's still a little freaking out. Again, while they're checking her numbers and everything, all of her stuff is good. They listen to her heart. They listen to her lungs. We go back into the area. That's when they brought the swabs and things for the strep and the COVID test. And so she's sitting there, and the nurse was awesome, like, fully explained everything. And, you know, I was like, you can hold my hand if you want. And she held my hand. Like, the strep one was fine. You know, she did that. And she did that one first. And since I've never seen it before, it was very much like a pregnancy test. But then it came back that it was negative. Okay. So that's when they went ahead and did the COVID swab in her nose. And they were like, okay, well, we're going to get a chest x-ray just in case. And so while they were doing that, they brought her a robe so that she can change. And so she's at the, you know, 10 years old. She's very modest. She doesn't undress around me anymore. And she's looking at me like, where am I going to go so that she can get changed? And so I held up the 
smock that she needed to get dressed in over my face so that she could get undressed and put the smock on. They came and did the x-ray, and then when the results came back, they were like, her, her lungs were fine. Like, she had no symptoms of COVID pneumonia, no issues at all. And so they're like, just keep her home, keep her quarantined. They said, you know, continue with the salt water gargle to help with that sore throat. There was nothing that they thought was going to happen. And so we come home. And she was having some trouble sleeping. Like, it almost seemed like, almost like panic attack type thing. Like, she would start to go to sleep, and then she'd wake up. Okay. And um, and I think it was probably because of the sore throat that it was harder for her to go to sleep. And it was scaring her a little bit. And so my husband, he stayed up all night with her. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go into work to at least get my stuff together because in my mind, I was like, I'm going to be out of work for at least the rest of the week. And so she finally start, went to sleep around 6 o'clock. And there was a couple times during the night that she, you know, woke up. And, you know, I was like, okay, let's breathe. We're good. We're safe. You know, I just kept giving her life breathe in through your nose. And uh, so I left for work. And then around 12 or so is when he got the phone call that her test was positive. And that's when I was at lunch. And so my youngest, Michael, because he was home, he called me and he was like, Teresa tested positive for COVID. And I was like, do I need to come home right now? Like what? And he was still on the phone with the nurse. So I was like, well, as soon as you get off the phone with the nurse, let me know if I need to come home, whatever else I need to do. And I went to go pick up my kids from the cafeteria. And in that little bit of time of me hanging up, the nurse had asked how Teresa was breathing because Jeff told her that like he's been popping his head in and checking on her while she was sleeping that morning. And she was kind of a little ragged breathing, mm-hmm. you know, like from congestion, I guess, or sore throat. I don't know. And uh, he said that he kept trying to explain how it sounded on the phone, but he couldn't quite get the right sound. So he was like, you know what? She's still sleeping in her room. He had just checked on her, like, before the phone call or something like that, I guess. And she's a wild sleeper, so she'll move from one end of the bed to the other and then turn a 45-degree angle. It's crazy. So... He said, I'll just take the phone in there so that you can hear it. And when he took the phone in there, she wasn't breathing. Oh, my goodness. And, of course, Michael was home, and he saw her not breathing. And um, he immediately calls me, and I hang up on him at first because I think he's just playing. And then he keeps calling back. And then I finally pick up, and he said, Teresa, not breathing. Thankfully, the nurse on the other end of the phone with Jeff had reached out to dispatch to have EMS come out to Teresa. And I'm still on the video call with Michael. Uh, He drops the tablet, so I'm just hearing everything. And I'm hearing Jeff do the chest impressions, listening to the nurse on the phone. She's telling him what to do. A police officer gets there first, rushes in, keeps up with the chest impressions until the ambulance gets there. And I'm still listening to all of this. And so when the police officer, and I'm, I don't know if he didn't hurt me because the tablet was in the room, but I just kept yelling, please save my baby, do whatever you can. And, um, like, nobody was saying anything. and It was the worst feeling. And then all of a sudden the tablet picked up. And Michael goes, 
mom, they're taking her to the hospital. And I knew that they got something from her because if somebody has died, they don't take them to the hospital. The ambulance will not take them. So I was like, yes, which hospital? And they're like, they're going to take her to Ovesee. And by that time, my coworker, she's driving me home, and I'm getting closer, and I'm like, okay, we're going to go straight to Ovesee. We'll, we'll meet them there. And so I get to the Ovesee, rush back there. One of the people, they're like, they can't let me see her yet because they're still hooking her up to the different machines. And, you know, I'm freaking out. And one of the people comes up to me, and he goes, I just want to let you know they do have a pole. It's a... I don't remember if he said it's faint or something, but he was like, they do have a pulse and they're just working to stabilize her. And I was like, thank you. Like, I will deal with the smallest thing. Like, just knowing that there was a pulse, I was like, there, yes. Then, you know, we're still waiting and they're coming back out and they're like, they wanted to transport her to CHKD. And I was like, absolutely. Because I know, you know, our children, our pediatrician's office is tied with CHKD. That was one of the reasons we chose them because we knew that if something happened really bad to one of our kids, we wanted them to go to CHKD. We wanted our kids' doctors to be able to have access to those files. Mm -hmm. So I was like, whatever you need to do. They came in and gave me the paper to sign for the transport. I signed it. And a couple minutes after that, I was able to go back and see her. And God, that was, I thought that was hard because they had a whole bunch of tubes and things like that on her. And uh, I just stood next to her and I, I told her, you know, she's strong. She's stubborn like her mother. And that she just needed to be strong for us and that they're going to take her to CHKD. And uh, they took her. Well, we had asked them if we could follow them. And they said yes, but you just can't go through the red light. So we are like, that's fine. Uh, we'll just go ahead and hopefully by the time they get there, we'll get there. You know, because we left a couple minutes before them. So my mom's the one who drove me, and we get to the CHKD, we get checked in, we rush up to the ICU, the PICU, and the lady's walking us down the hall to go to this room to wait, and I see the three people who were getting Teresa ready for transport, and they were awesome. Like, I loved their interaction with her while she was at Obesey, and I yelled down the hall, I was like, that's my baby! I was like, I'll see you in a little bit, and... They put us in the room, and I guess around that time, they had lost her pulse again. And we were waiting. My mom and I were waiting in the room, and it was probably close to 30 minutes before they came and got us. And they let us know that it didn't look good, that the doctors had been trying everything they could to get her heart started again. And they walked me back there so I could be back there with her. God, that was the worst. I, like walking in there, and I've never been in an ICU room before. So I walked back there, and it's just filled with nurses and doctors and all these people in gowns. And I saw this person just standing over Teresa, giving her chest compression, and he was in full gear, like face shield, mask, like everything covered. And I was like, oh my gosh, and. He's just 
doing chest impressions and then somebody else takes over and I keep hearing them say epinephrine and when they're getting ready to do the defibrillator and the doctor, he came over to me and he was like, you know, they've been trying for 30 minutes and it doesn't look good. And, and I watched them try to save her and it didn't work out. They ended up calling and uh, that was the end. I'm so incredibly sorry for your loss, and you and your husband and your sons and your extended family have our condolences, and and certainly uh, will keep you in our prayers. I do appreciate you sharing it with me. As a father myself, I can only imagine how difficult it is, Uh, but I do appreciate you sharing that with me, because I know it has to be an incredibly difficult thing to think back on and recount. I mentioned uh, your family, your immediate family, you and your husband, you have three, Teresa has three brothers. And I know you said that most of your family, it sounds like everything you did was by the book and, and the right thing, checking with the pediatrician, going to the hospital, doing all the appropriate things. And I know also you said that, you know, you didn't do a lot of activities over the summer to avoid large crowds and to try to avoid yeah. anything from, you know, spreading infection and limit your risk. So it sounds like you did all the right things. And I know also your family members who were eligible had been vaccinated. I believe you and your husband and your, your older sons uh, who were eligible had been vaccinated at the time uh, that Teresa became ill she was not because Mm -hmm. she was 10 the Pfizer vaccine for children ages 5 to 12 had not yet been approved Uh, we know that the vaccine offers strong protection against serious illness and hospitalization and we know now that most of the patients who are currently hospitalized with COVID are unvaccinated so what is your message to those individuals who for whatever reason still aren't vaccinated you know whether that's parents um, who are unsure about vaccinating their children or, you know, adults who are still vaccine hesitant, what would you say to those people? That COVID will take whoever it wants. The proof is my husband, who is severely high risk with all of his medical issues. He got the vaccine. He got COVID because of Teresa. He got the symptoms after her. He was able to stay home. He was able to recover. We don't think that would have been able to happen if he didn't have the vaccine. His doctor strongly encouraged him to get the vaccine because of his issues. I'm starting to hear more and more of people who are completely healthy, who've never had issues, just like Teresa, who are dying from COVID. And I just wish people would take this more serious. It's not the COVID that started a year and a half to two years ago that was affecting only the elderly and the really sick. It's changed. It's evolved to this beast that it will go after anybody, children. Since Teresa passed, I've heard of several more children, especially her age group in that 10-year-old range that have died because of it. It's a simple thing as the vaccine will help you. Does it give you 100% protection? No. No vaccine gives you any 100% protection. But if you do contract the disease or illness that the vaccine gives you, it helps you from not dying, from not getting any severe complications that you could get from it. And now Michael, he got his first dose last night. And like we're one step closer to be fully vaccinated in the house. And I just wish more people would understand that it's this disease, this COVID is not a political disease. Yeah, there's no better way to say it. You know, it it offers strong protection. No vaccine is going to give you 100% protection, as you said, but it offers strong protection. And that's a safeguard against serious illness, against ending up in the hospital, against contracting the virus yourself or spreading it to others. Really good advice there. 
since the loss of your daughter, my sense is that you've been pretty outspoken. I know you've talked to more than one media outlet. And your message, from what I gather, is, as you said, about taking this seriously. Because as you mentioned, with the rise of the Delta variant and other mutations, the spread of this virus has accelerated in many respects. And we just came off of a fourth surge here in Virginia that ended in September, earlier than a lot of people anticipated a potential fourth surge. And now we're heading into the colder winter months when last year we had our third surge which was the highest peak of COVID hospitalizations we've ever had in Virginia. And so given your outspoken response to what has happened to your family, and let me just say I'm just in awe of your strength as a parent, you know, and, and your ability to channel grief and loss into productive advocacy. So I wonder if you would just tell me about the approach you've taken to sharing your story, to encouraging people to wear masks and to vaccinate and other steps that people can take to protect themselves. Just making sure that before Teresa passed, I was always, okay, I'm going to make sure me and my family do what we're supposed to do. Now I realize that it's not just that part anymore. I have to make sure that other people are aware that it's not just them. When I went and spoke out at school board meetings about conspiracy theories, I addressed that at one meeting. There was the very first school board meeting I spoke out about was in reference to some people saying COVID was over and it doesn't take healthy children. And those people said that on the same day Teresa had died. And that just kind of, I think those comments were the ones that really pushed me into being the person I am right now, that I don't want anything like this to happen to anybody else's child. I never imagined that I would have the loss of a child. And I don't want anybody else to go through this because this is not something that anybody ever wants to. My daughter should be burying me, not the other way around. And so her loss is what's giving me the strength to go out and try to advocate and fight and just protect as many people as possible. We were able to set up, uh, worked with our local YMCA and we set up a vaccine clinic last night for children the 5 to 11-year-old range, and we did that in memory of Teresa. These are the things that we're doing now. Everything is for her memory. Well, that's just, it's amazing work. And as I said, in the face of, you know, unspeakable tragedy for you and your family to be able to, as I said, channel this into something productive is just, you are to be applauded and commended for that and to also fight vaccine misinformation and COVID misinformation, which unfortunately is so rampant. Again, it's just incredible work that you're doing. You mentioned the vaccine clinic at the YMCA that you worked on. Is there, on behalf of your family or in Teresa's memory, is there any kind of, whether it's a scholarship fund? or a GoFundMe or anything like that, or a foundation? Is there anything that's been set up that you'd like to make people aware of? There's not yet. My husband and I, we were actually talking about possibly trying to do something like that because she loves so many things. So we definitely want to think about starting a foundation. Some of the ideas we thought about is putting out some more of those free little libraries to be able to sponsor kids that want to take dance lessons because she loved to dance. She just was kind of afraid to go to a dance class. Mm -hmm. You know, all the things that she enjoyed, we want to be able to give things like that back to kids. It's something we're going to start working on and hopefully, you know, we just want to make sure we do it the right way. We don't want it 
to come back and be like, everything falls apart. I want to make sure everything's laid out and we know what we're going to do and where money's going to come from and things like that. But once everything's in the ready, we'll definitely release that information. Well, it sounds like you're already doing important work, and I'm sure that the whatever the next venture is will also be important and positive and impactful. So please keep us posted as you develop what those next plans are, and if we can help share that, we would certainly be happy to do that. And again, Nicole, I just want to thank you so much for speaking with us today and for sharing with us. Normally at this point in the podcast, we would close with a pair of more lighthearted personal questions, but today in honor of Teresa, I'd like to ask you to answer for her on her behalf. And typically what, what I'd ask you at this point is, and any guest who was on the podcast, we'd ask them to choose their last meal if they could anticipate when their final day on earth was approaching. Instead, I'd like to ask you what you think Teresa would say if she was asked to pick her favorite dish for one big celebration. Oh gosh, she would either say my lasagna or my mom's lasagna. Okay. What's the difference between your lasagna and your mom's lasagna? Not much, really. She, <laughs> We both do it pretty much about the same. I think my mom, she usually tends to make it a little bit bigger, but we only usually have lasagna at my mom on Christmas. That's our tradition. Okay. Um, we have lasagna on Christmas. And I'll usually make lasagna on, is it my birthday? Usually I'll make it on my birthday. So it's not something that we have a lot, and especially with people in the house and up until recently I you know was working as a substitute teacher so we didn't really have a lot of money to get all the ingredients to put everything together so definitely either my lasagna or my mom's lasagna she loves both of those mom's lasagna sounds like a good meal and then the final question again this is something we'd normally ask guests to answer for themselves but again I'll ask you to answer for Teresa here what we would typically ask in this instance is to give us one album one book and one movie that the guest would want to take with them if they were stranded on a deserted island again in honor of Teresa I wonder if you could pick on her behalf what and we talked about how much she loved to read so what one book would she want to have with her what one album one movie would she want to have with her if she found herself marooned on a on a tropical island oh gosh I'm trying to think of the books I know any Billie Eilish album isn't it lovely She loves Billie Eilish. She would sing her songs all the time. She has a poster up in her room. Um, one of her favorite movies, it would probably be a tie either between Descendants. Or Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. And then um, and then the book. Her book. Oh gosh. She liked those graphic novels like the the smile graphic novel. Like I see the picture and it's like a smiley face with braces. Okay. I think that's the name of it. That was I, one I, that she I, I'm not really familiar, liked. but it'll give me something to Google and look up. <laughs> yeah, it's like really popular with kids and like there's a whole bunch of others, but I remember she really enjoyed that one. 
Okay. Well, listen, I do once again want to thank you for being with us uh, as we draw to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. We'd encourage our listeners, if you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And again, Nicole, thank you for being with us today, for sharing your very personal family story with us. Nicole Sperry, you and your family are in our prayers. And as I said, please let us know if you have plans in the future to do additional activities in honor of Teresa's memory. And if we can help promote or share those, we would certainly be happy to. So thank you again for being with us and for sharing your story. Thank you for inviting me. I loved it.